This podcast is supported by Manitou Fund. We want to thank them for coming on board and, and helping to support this podcast. Really means a lot to us. I guess it's go time. Let's do it. Hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Mitchell Hora. I'm a farmer from Iowa. And I'm Zach Johnson. I farm in Minnesota, and this is Fieldwork, podcast by farmers for farmers. This is the show where we talk about what's working and what is not in sustainable agriculture. And Zach, I'm crying over here. You're crying inside? Yeah, it's the last show of the season. It is the last show of the season. And the season. <laughs> and it's been fun. It's been fun. I figured maybe you were crying because you're getting so much rain again. No, no, this is beautiful rain like we are oh, you needed on. this one. Oh yeah we needed this one perfect i'm crying tears of joy but i'm crying tears of sadness because i don't have a helicopter to fly in the rain it's an emotional roller coaster it is an it? emotional roller coaster the life of a podcaster is just most people can't handle it no that's that's for sure it's tough i mean we've been pushing for this helicopter thing for a while i'm thinking maybe we should downgrade and maybe like if we could get some 21 speed huffies <laughs> Well, It'd be like a stepping stone. And like a ramp, though. But I guess a, in like when we can get back up into downtown St. Paul, there's probably some pretty cool jumps we could take it off of. I would think so, yeah. Because, you know, Amy and Annie got us those remote control helicopters, and those were cool. But my kid flew it into the pool <laughs> right away. Yeah. And there it sat at the bottom of the pool. It was fun while it lasted. It was fun, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, in all seriousness, uh, since we started recording the beginning of season two, way back in December, way back in December, the world has changed a lot. So yeah, eons ago, we're now in the middle of the COVID pandemic. Um, And also, you know, dealing with the protests over um, George Floyd as well. And, uh, you know, that those protests have spread to over 2000 cities and and towns. Um, They were even had some right outside of my office here in Washington, Iowa, too, um, you know, bringing a lot of awareness to a variety of different topics here um, that need to be addressed in today's day and age. Do you even remember that it's an election year? It's the first election year I can remember where, like, you don't you don't even hear about it. Yeah, you don't even hear about it. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it is kind of crazy. But well, welcome to 2020. I guess so. It yeah, it'll rig it'll get uh, revved back up soon. I am sure. I'm positive of that. So at the beginning of this year, actually, farm incomes were expected to rise a little bit. Now the opposite is true. We've got, uh, you know, corn, soybeans, cotton, dairy, all the major commodities. Uh, The prices are declining, and it's looking like uh, farm incomes are going to be down quite a bit. So, I mean, that changes things. It changes things a ton. And we always talk about implementing sustainable agriculture. And sustainable ag doesn't matter if the farm is not economically sustainable, so that raises the question, what's next for sustainable ag and uh, environmental outcomes? Just throwing more wrenches into the system. Just what we need. Yeah, just exactly what we need. Yeah, let's on. just take the whole toolbox and chuck it in there. <laughs> it's fine. Just give us more, more, more things to worry about. It'll be fine. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So to talk about that, we've actually got a guest here from a big state that's a major player in the commodities world. Uh, Illinois is actually, of course, one of the top two producers of corn and soybeans. Lauren Lurkins is the director of environmental policy at the Illinois Farm Bureau. So she's got her finger on the pulse of a lot of different things, and she's been a great friend to our podcast. She's helped connect us to several guests. How you doing, Lauren? I'm awesome. How are you guys? Good. So great. excited to have you on, Lauren. 
Thank you. I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> I feel like we've been talking about this for like a long time. And it's like, I know. Oh, Lauren yeah. got us this and Lauren got us this. Like, why are we not just talking to Lauren? So <laughs> it's finally here. She finally gets to meet us and now she can talk about how disappointing it truly is. Uh, <laughs> I can tell all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even have helicopters. They don't have helicopters. <laughs> These guys seem okay on podcast, but no, they're actually complete weirdos. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, Lauren, why don't you go ahead and let's start this off. You can tell us some of the things that the Illinois Farm Bureau is actually doing on the conservation sustainability front. Yeah. So I am, like you said, the director of environmental policy here at Illinois Farm Bureau, which means um, we serve about 74 plus thousand individual farmers. We take our lead by the farmer members that um, we have. And every I've been here for seven years for about the last six, five or six. Our board of directors has prioritized. Um, well, kind of to feed off of what you guys were just talking about, number one is our work to improve farm income and profitability. And right underneath that is to promote Illinois agriculture's contribution to improve the environment. So it's uh, matured, it's evolved, but it's all pretty exciting. And it's water quality and uh, uh, soil health for the most part. So what have you seen from producers as far as their willingness to actually join in and, and become a part of this and take these steps to try to implement these different strategies? I mean, you work with a lot of different people. I imagine it's different for everybody. I mean, what's the what's the overall feeling behind the willingness to try some of this stuff out? Yeah, I feel like it is producer, you know, it is producer by producer. Sometimes I'll talk to people, even, you know, fo folks on my board of directors, and we talk about these issues all the time. And then I find out, they haven't told me, but I find out like, yeah, you know, David is, got, is experimenting with cover crops. I'm like, really? I had no idea. Like, why is, did he not tell me that? And it's like, I feel like many people are interested in trying it. It is just, you know, cover crops being one thing, um, but they're not, they're not broadcasting it, you know, and they're, that's a pun, I guess, an agricultural pun, but they're not, you know, you know, they're not telling everybody that they're doing it. There's a little bit of risk and they're trying to manage that risk and probably my expectations of whatever they're going to do next. So they don't end up telling us everything. Um, but I do think that, you know, there are the, the guys that have been known in our organization as conservation minded for a very long time. They are still that. Um, but they even will say like, yeah, there's people around me who still still are not changing what they do, but they see a lot of great potential in the movement overall as a state. So it's a little bit of a, a mixed bag. Um, farmers have a way, in my view, of of being kind of hard on either themselves or their neighbors. And so like, we've got some great stuff happening in heavier livestock counties. And the farmers that I work with are like, oh, we keep having these field days and you know, we keep reaching a hundred or so people. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You guys, this is outstanding. And they don't see what I see, which is people outside of that particular county talking about the work. So we're trying to be a little bit smarter using technology where you don't have to bank on people showing up at a field day, particularly in a summer like this, where we can't bring them. Um, and we're pivoting and trying to get that word out. But that's something that you throw out there and it lands and people are kind of consuming it and acting upon it at their at their the time that makes sense for them. So I gave up a long time ago trying to 
get my arms around the activity because it's really hard to capture, to get the metrics on. Um, but it's that feel of in- incremental progress. Has the COVID situation changed a lot of stuff for you or maybe for the producers that you work with when it comes to implementing these things? Yeah, you know, speaking of all the noise, right? I mean, we, I feel like in agriculture, you know, at least the the work that I do is uh, for one point we had sort of business as usual. Yeah, we're going to continue, but we've had a lot of fires that have happened um, in in this time where we got to come off of that work and um, address just supporting our producers during a very difficult time, particularly at at one point our livestock industry. Um, So, you know, I I think, and I talk to our board members. Um, you know, it's it's very difficult to make this this stuff, these proactive programs that we have, the proactive effort that we have to show regulators, to show the public. It's really hard to keep that energy going as an organization during this time. And I think our producers are feeling very stressed in this time to to think about and to make sure i mean it's still something that's that's a big deal but they've got now just like you guys a list of 10 other things that they're literally keeping them awake at night because they don't know how it's going to be impacted and we are hearing that uh loud and clear i mean it's it's little things and it's big things and you know one of the one of the issues that i have realized is how you know, even our board meetings or any of these summer events, our farmers, I mean, the beauty of an organization like Farm Bureau is the fact that we bring humans together to talk, to support each other, to yell at each other, to debate, you know, we don't, we can't do that um, in a way that um, we feel like supports them in this time. So that's a big, big struggle. Um, and I hope that they know that organization, many organizations are, are working on their behalf, even when we can't see each other, but it's a struggle. Well, and, and as you continue to push forward, like, what is the goal? What is your goal? Or like, is there a quantifiable goal that we can go and attain, you know, how do we put those ideas in motion and um, how do we continue to make progress no matter what type of situation we're in? Yeah. I mean, we always talk about strategy if we're working on a a policy issue and, you know, our strategy is one thing and then we pivot and, you know, kind of address whatever we need to. I think you just have to have that, like the goal is a long-term success. Even if we're, you know, like our, our goals of our nutrient loss reduction strategy are to see certain reductions in nitrate and phosphorus loading over a very long period of time. This is the same thing. This is real life. It's reality. We get less rain, more rain that, that drives all of the changes. We have real life that impacts what happens on a farm. And so, you know, I just hope that people know that, you know, an organization is here to continue to focus on things if a farmer needs to, you know, adjust and worry about something else for a minute. We will still be um, helping to gather the science, gather the economics, actually have a little bit more time to package that information and, and be better when they're ready to come back to the topic. It's a, it's a challenging one, though, and I don't think anyone really has the answers. <laughs> I wish, unless you guys do, that would be really great. <laughs> no, Lauren, that's why we had you on. Like, you're supposed oh, to tell us what it. the answer is. Like, how do we do this? Well, I will, I'll just say that you, this is obvious, but I'm not a farmer. Um, and I, many, many, many times in my seven years here at Farm Bureau, I have said, I don't think I ever could be. <laughs> like, I have mad props for the guys and ladies that I work for. 
because there's just, I, I'm like a type A lawyer planner. You know, I don't think I would, it doesn't suit me well to have all of this risk thrown at me. Just throw seed out there, watch it grow, <laughs> harvest it later. Not That's that how hard. it's supposed to work, right? Yeah, Whew. not that hard. Yeah, not, not that difficult. There really isn't much more to it. Nope. Carry on Until you. Yeah, nobody thinks about when you need to schedule a podcast, but you also have to spray beans. Oh, Zach, you have all the rest of the day for that. I'm sure it'll be fine. It won't <laughs> yeah. be windy, you know, nothing. Well, luckily it did rain yesterday, so we, we have a pretty good delay this morning. All right, that's But fine. the weeds are growing twice the rate of the beans right now. We'll get out there. We'll get out there. Uh, Lauren, are you seeing less producers coming to you to try and implement some of this stuff now because of the situations that we've got going on and as crazy as 2020 is? Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about incomes being lowered and prices being down and the other obvious situations that have affected things. Is everything else weighing so heavily on, on farmers' minds and, and maybe bringing it a little bit to the point where they put some of these other ideas on the back burner for right now? Or do you think it's still the producers that are interested in full steam ahead on this are still, it's, it's go time. They still want to make those changes. I think it's the latter. I really do. However, I mean, they're not coming to me right now. You know, they're, they're not, we're not brainstorming on new ideas or new policy that could, could help. You know, we're not being, we're not in the creative brainstorming phase. We are in the hunker down, finish, almost like a pause, you know, like, let's just pause and focus and move forward. But that that's what I am talking about when you know, you bring real, you bring people together, and you share information, and you watch the brainstorming between farmers and the sharing of information. And we're not able to do that, like I wish we could. And so that is the thing that's stalling out. I feel like people, you know, individuals had their plan and they have their vision for their operation. Um, I think it's going to look different maybe for many of them, but I think if it was important to them before this, they're going to try to manage through it. The the other thing, and this might actually be a bright spot (laughs) is sometimes, you know, whenever I talk to individual producers, they're like, yeah, you know, and you're like, Hey, are you safe? Are you good? You know, they're like, yeah, it's like, this is not really impacting what I do. I'm socially distanced when I plant anyway. I'm socially distanced when I land apply manure. Nobody wants to be around me anyway. Like, you know, they're still feeling out in the rural countryside, like they have been able to get stuff done. But it is these like curveballs that keep coming at them um, from a policy side. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of these guys are like, okay, how do we just continue to push on and and move forward? And there is some awkwardness, I think, now amongst like when farmers do interact, like, okay, do you shake hands or do you fist bump or do you like elbow bump? Like, it's still kind of weird, but I mean, I had my field day here just the other day and my goal was to have 75 people, you know, light crowd, be outside, no big deal, spread out as much as we can. We had 155 people there. It's like, oh crap, like now what do we do? And it was fine, like totally fine. Everyone spread out outside the whole time. Everyone was just like ready to be back on the farm, ready to be back to normal, interact with other people, continue to learn and press on and figure out how we're going to get through this. That was the overwhelming takeaway of people coming from all over the place to come and be a part of it, which I thought was really cool. And in that it's, we do need to press on. We do need to have that collaboration. And one thing I wanted to pivot on here there was a recent announcement on a new initiative that you're a part of through environmental environmental defense fund 
It seems extremely exciting. I don't know hardly anything about it. And I'm sure Zach and Annie are like, what the heck is he talking about? Tell us what I am talking about here on this new committee that you are vice chair of. Oh, yeah. What the heck is going on there? Because I'm doing a terrible job. Yeah, getting us <laughs> I had to no the idea point. what you were talking about until just now. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's a US EPA committee on, and I'm not going to get the acronym. The acronym is FRRCC, Farm and yeah, Rural. Yeah, yeah, for her. <laughs> um, but it's actually an administ- It's a advisory committee to the administrator of US EPA to represent, um, there's like 33 members on the committee to represent different aspects of farm, rural community, and ranching issues as it relates to agriculture. So I was nominated and threw in my resume, uh, got some nomination letters, and then I was told that I was going to be the co-chair. So pretty exciting. Um, I think it's, there's not, I mean, it's it's a very even spread across the country, um, but uh, there's not too many people from the Midwest. I don't have the roster in front of me at the moment, but um, I'm really excited. I think that you know, I had one person say, well, if you're if you're on the committee in the hopes that you're going to change the way that the agency does things like you're probably going to be disappointed. However, if you if you want to use it to just hear different viewpoints, learn about the different issues coming from different sectors of the of the ag community and learn a little bit more about how US EPA makes their decisions and runs their programs. It's the perfect opportunity. And like ARC farmers are so excited whenever they keep seeing that announcement. I keep getting text messages like you know, they're just excited to have somebody who who represents them on a committee like that. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I can imagine, especially with a, an organization like the EPA, having somebody on your side that you that you maybe know personally, that you know works with the farmers and has your best interest at heart, that, that's got to mean a lot for a lot of those farmers. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I also was added to an Office of Pesticide Program, speaking of your spraying beans. Um, they also have an advisory committee. Um, also has it's like the pesticide program dialogue committee um and yeah (laughs) ppdc (laughs) um that that is another thing that i actually participate it's supposed to be obviously dc meetings and instead it's remote but that's like everything pesticide from you know people who are you know center for biological diversity interested in the endangered species the lady out from maybe hawaii or california interested in worker participation protection and then you know industry or farm groups so that that is one that i um am also excited about um particularly all of the stuff that's been happening around our pesticide products in the last several weeks no that's really great and like awesome that there's so many different angles here i think of advocating for this and being able to build upon progress being made and one of the things we want to ask you about like it seems like there's a lot of different hot pockets for like multiple farmers kind of banding together um, and really pushing forward and, and implementing some new ideas. Are you seeing some of that coming together or, you know, what has been one of the main triggers for people being able to have accelerated success on the farm level? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we do a lot at our County level and sometimes there's that banding together there, 
But we also feel like it's valuable to bring, you know, I can see, like I said, like I can see like, here's a guy down in Clinton County. Here's a guy up in um, Stevenson County. They may never meet each other, but as I mean, in, in the organization that we have, we can find a way to bring them together. So I actually have an advisory team of farmers that I've had for a while. And Mitchell, you've met some of them. Um, there's a slightly new crowd now. Um, and they have a lot of common interests and common thoughts and approaches. And so we just play sort of matchmaker. <laughs> I'm really good at playing matchmaker. Um, and so now we're a matchmaker for farmers. But I think that sort of, um, you know, we kind of turn it into like a Facebook and usually we have meetings where they they collaborate. And I think that is very valuable. Many of those folks are also finding online communities and they listen to you guys and they have certain resources that they find online um, and then they share that with other people too. So I think it's just sort of banding people together to the extent that we can. Do you think a lot of the online resources that are available to guys, maybe through like whatever it might be, some of the online resources you talked about, May probably this podcast is going to be the one of the biggest ones, but do you think that will help to close up some of these pockets? You know, Mitchell lives in Washington County, Iowa, which has a real culture of adopting a lot of new practices. And so, do you think some of these pockets that are around uh, the different states where guys really move into this stuff, and then you've got this whole area in between where where people are doing what they've always done and being successful at it? But do you think the online community will help to kind of grow those? those areas together and maybe be some of the big reason for the, for the spread of this, I guess. I, I do think so. And I, I think that's where we're headed in general. I mean, we, we literally are going to have to transition all of what would normally be a county specific field day into a virtual format in the matter of weeks. I think we're never going to come off of that. You know, we're always going to just keep adding that layer um, and people find value. The problem is we can't measure that. You know, I mean, we can, we can know like, oh, we had this many views or whatever, but you can't really measure your impact. And I mean, that's the thing. And you guys probably get this too. Like when you can like look someone eye to eye and you can see that they're jazzed about what you're talking about and you, you have given them information, you don't get that sort of satisfaction in, in that. But I do think that, you know, a lot of the, I wouldn't say even younger, I think just the people, the farmers who are interested in this stuff, they're going to, they're finding good information out there. And when they find good resources, they share it and it's on Plat, you know, social platforms, it's on chat groups, whatever it may be. Podcasts certainly are a thing that they can listen to while they're working. And I think that they just share that just like I would with my girlfriend, something I like on shopping or something, <laughs> which is a terrible analogy, I know, but. But it's a real life analogy. Mm -hmm. You know, it, we, we're so, such online people and it just seems like the, the COVID situation and I hate using the word COVID because it's so overused, but the COVID situation has brought everybody online even more. I mean, everything is a Zoom meeting now, right? And I just think, I think COVID has caused us to get a little bit, uh, move a little bit more forward when it comes to being more efficient. And we don't have to go to DC to have a meeting. We don't have to be together for this podcast. You know, I, I can see you guys and we can, we can have this conversation online right now. And I just think that's something, like you say, we may not get away from. We're going to keep moving more efficiently like that. 
I agree with you. And I, I know that it's a struggle for some individuals, staff, or, you know, even farmers to kind of adjust to this. But like, I've been, I try to be pretty positive. And I, I mean, I'm kind of kicking myself, Mitchell, when I hear you're like, well, I still went ahead with my field day. And I had all these people. I mean, I've wrestled on this decision on what to do with our field days. We got 10 of them still scheduled between the middle of July and end of August. But we're in Illinois. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say is the difference yeah. between the regulations still in Illinois versus yeah. Iowa is night and day difference. Yeah, I just, I mean, we did not feel like we we had any sense of how to do that in a way that protected our members that in some ways are vulnerable population. Some, some ways, I mean, we couldn't be outside, but anyway, so it, it got a little bit frustrating, but I, I, ha I am positive on this like virtual thing. I've always, our video um, opportunities, uh, you know, a, a really nice video crew at Farm Bureau, they've been itching for this opportunity to like get after it. And I think we will add value into the programs from here on out. And and really that that is going to reach far more people than we ever could spend in like four grand on pulled pork for 80 people. Now we'll still do that, <laughs> but we'll also have sort of this extra layer of the onion that lets us kind of push the story out even further than we have been. And that was totally my approach with it too. So like we had the field day in person, but then we had the whole thing live on Zoom. And oh, at, okay. at one point we had about 80 people on the Zoom meeting. And then we had it also broadcasting from Zoom to Facebook Live. So we could take this meeting right now that we're on on Zoom and broadcast it on Facebook Live. We did that for the field day. And that video um, last I saw had over 1.3 thousand views, which is nothing for Zach. But for us, I thought that was pretty good. And to have 1.3 thousand people tuned in to the Facebook Live event, like, okay, this is awesome. And people from all over the world can tune in and can see that. People that would never have access to this field day if they had to be there in person. So to your point, it's branching out even more opportunity to spread the word, to spread awareness. Um, might be pivoting too soon, but one of the big people that you need to spread awareness to and that you work on is spreading awareness to policymakers. How do we communicate this to them? What is that message that you have to push to them? And as we're telling our story, it's not just telling our story to other farmers, it's to consumers and policymakers and other folks like that. How do we tell that type of a message, um, no matter what situation we're in. That is incredibly difficult because I still feel like that is relationship building. That's that handshake, the, hey, let's sit over here over a sandwich or a cup of coffee and let me talk to you. You know, I mean, that's what politicians do, shake hands and kiss babies. <laughs> and we can't do that right now. Um, so actually one of the field days that I have in my in my little repertoire here for the summer, the, the farmers felt like they wanted a specific field day, not for the farmer audience, but our farmer leaders wanted to talk about it to their county government, frankly, but also their state uh, guys and even up to the congressional folks. So usually when we do a farmer field day, we'll invite, you know, it's like icing on the cake. You also invite, um, you know, the director of Illinois EPA or the staff of EPA, even region five, US EPA, we'll invite them to every field day. We'll invite congressional staff, all that, um, all the way down to the county level. Um, and, and that is just 
and they love coming to it or they like some of their staff, whatever it works. So we, we struggle even reaching them in this setting. The struggle on the one field day I have in mind that was going to be geared at a specific elected official audience is that you know, are they really going to tune in to a live, a Facebook live? Probably not. I mean, they want to get there and see you in person. So, I mean, we were just talking about this yesterday. I feel like we are going to have to record some short version. Like we'll have a, like a long form video and a shorter form, like highlight reel. I call it the montage. (laughs) Here is the montage. And send it to them in an email that says, you know what, we really missed you. This is not ideal. We'd rather have you out at our farm and get to know you more. Some of these are new relationships. Others are maintaining a long-form one or long-term one. Um, and we're just going to send the link so that way we, we hold steady on that relationship building. Um, but that's really hard. I, I work with regulatory agency staff. And even our state agency staff is working remote. So bonus points, I now have a lot of people's cell phones that I didn't have before, and you can bet I'm going to hold on to those. But I usually sit in the agency parking lots and say, hey, I'm ready. Can I talk to you about this? I can't I can't do that right now. And when we've got some major issues in the regulatory space, it's really hard to get quick answers sometimes. That's frustrating. Lauren, we had talked to a couple of uh, dairy guys from out in Wisconsin that had put together a couple different groups of their own sort of conservation-minded guys that were moving forward and kind of doing things on their own and not going through any kind of state or federal agency on this stuff. And they had they were kind of going about it on their own. It was a really cool situation. But one of the things they had talked about was that some of the local labs that they depend on for testing soil and water had actually closed up and they couldn't get results back in the time they needed in order to kind of move forward and, and progress on some of the stuff they were doing Are you seeing stuff like that that's affecting what you do in your line of work? We've kind of have different approaches given the the project. Uh, The ones where we we hired private entities, like, you know, some where where they take it to a private lab and they analyze it and then the consultant is helping us track it. That stuff is still functioning. I mean, it's got some delay potentially, but it's all still functioning. Um, again, that, those are people paying for a service and obviously a, a company wanting to continue to provide that service. Where we see that hold up are really like, we have um, state uh, scientific surveys, like a natural history, a water survey. They really um, were very strict on no field work for a quite, quite some time. Um, and field work, get it? Um, so they um, can't, can't get out, can't do anything. Things were very much paused. We've got an effort in the state of Illinois where farmers help fund a lot of the university research. And you saw quite a bit of delays in just them processing those samples, getting out, running them in the labs. And many of those projects, um, they ended up actually pushing the, the funding year back a little bit because it, it was not just one researcher that was a slacker. It was literally, you know, across the board. So um, I think it's it's more those public entities, the public labs or the universities that, you know, they were getting told you can't be here. <laughs> I think before we go any further, it's time to take a quick break here, Mitchell. Yep. Give us a second. We'll be right back. And we're back with the Fieldwork Podcast. I'm Zach Johnson. And I'm Mitchell Hora. Today we're taking a look 
um, at the outlook on sustainable ag in this nasty economic environment. Joining us for this conversation is Lauren Lurkins. She's the Director of Environmental Policy at the Illinois Farm Bureau. As we move forward in, in 2020 here, Lauren, what are some of the biggest headwinds you see as we go forward in the, the crazy year of 2020? You know what? I I am I read a lot of things, you know, from different viewpoints, as you guys do too. Um, I see, I'm a little bit wondering about the social you know, environmental justice and sort of that, that impact on, you know, in in the state of Illinois, we're hearing quite a bit on everyone's right to clean water. And that can, that is a noble, noble goal. But how, what do you mean? You know, like, as far as policy adjusting, what, what does that look like? And, you know, we in our state, I think our, um, our governor and his administration is interested in the concept of environmental justice. And that is very important. Um, um, but our question is always like, how does that impact rural Illinois? And to this point, I think they're mainly focused on minority populations around our major cities. But at some point, um, you know, we will probably in agriculture be part of those discussions. So I'm I'm a little bit interested to see where that goes. I think also too, and I I am not an expert when it comes to this, but I'm just wondering how farm bill even functions into the future, including like a conservation title. Um, you know, we still had within within Illinois at least our NRCS offices were operating. You know, in something in this in the last couple months. But we still have projects that that need to happen. We still have, you know, people that are supposed to apply for whether it was emergency kind of relief or um, even just those those conservation practices and the programs. I mean, that is a challenging. That is a great delivery mechanism with county offices. But when you can't have people in your county offices, it you know I think that that might be a little bit different. And I'm already seeing things, and you guys probably are too, of like online components of that work, but our, our farmers are still programmed to go into an office. And in fact, when we talked about some of this stuff, particularly with like livestock depopulation of barns that we were anticipating, you know, it was like, go into your, never mind, don't go into your <laughs> county office, just call them. You know, you have to like adjust your, your directions. Yeah. What we have to do here is we have to call into the county office to say, Hey, here, so like for farm program stuff, what you have to do is you have to say, here's where I planted corn, here's where I planted beans, here's when I did it, things like that. It's not super hard paperwork, You just it's compliance type stuff. And what we have to do is we have to call them up and say, hey, I need my paperwork, I'm ready to get it done. They put it in, in an envelope and put it like through a window, they have to come and pick it up, take it home, fill it out or take it out to your truck, fill out the paperwork, then return it back to them later and let them know that you're coming to turn it back in. And then they can take it in and process it. So it's kind of a, yeah, logistics deal that they're trying to work through that the offices are still open, but yeah, you can't go into it. You've got to call ahead of time and work through the paperwork. And they've been very willing to help though, and to make it as smooth as possible. Um, But just dealing with a little bit of a different situation here and in Iowa. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say too, so, so that's, those are some issues that I, I look at. I think we're still interested in the market system, like a, like an ecosystem, some sort of trading. And I don't know 
what that looks like. But I think with farm income, the way it is, people, I mean, even in our boardroom, you know, talking more about that. And I'd say the other two major things on our plate looking forward are, you know, these are a little bit policy related, but our pesticide products and the process that that goes through and the certainty that people need in that process as well as our, you know, Waters of the U.S. discussion later on today, we'll be taking part in some what, what should be D.C. meetings that are now virtual, which is great because I don't have to fly to and from D.C., but um, with EPA and the core to figure out, you know, that's great. We have rules um, that are going to take effect, but how are they going to be implemented? You know, how is it actually going to work in farm country when people can tell the difference between an ephemeral an intermittent or a perennial stream, particularly ephemeral or intermittent. And what does that mean when NRCS views of it, how does that intersect with a US EPA or more importantly in Illinois, at least the Army Corps of Engineers. So we got a lot of work to do in that space and um, our membership needs that clarity. We get calls every single day um, trying to figure that one out. So Lauren, one of the things, you know, for farmers to be able to get some cost share dollars and stuff is being able to work with their local NRCS and be able to work through some of the paperwork and some of the regulatory hurdles there. What's your view on how that is going to be disrupted that the farmers can't necessarily go into their local NRCS office right now and be able to have those conversations anytime that they want to? Is that going to impede some of the progress here as we go uh, and get ready for fall cover crop planting season? You know, it, it may impede some. I, I feel like the people who already knew the people, you know, the farmers who already knew the people in the office are going to continue that. But that that net that should have been cast a little bit wider and grabbing additional people in, it may not depend, you know, it may not be the time for that to easily occur. And that that is a little bit concerning. So I'm sure, I hope, I guess, that, you know, NRCS as a, as a federal agency is looking at ways to adjust their customer service across our country and their training of employees to be able to not just take care of Mitchell and Zach because we know Mitchell and Zach and you know they know how to call me on my cell phone that's hard to get, um, but how do you still reach the masses? And that's a that's a customer service side of things that you know we're all struggling with so i hope that that they have some additional training there but yeah it it very well may not be the time where somebody new is um experimenting with it so maybe to kind of work us towards like wrapping up i suppose what is one of your like main goals or whatever what's the thing that you're most excited about getting back in full speed ahead on as things are able to open back up here later through 2020 or 2021, you know, what's that thing that you're like, I am ready to get this back up and going and make some real progress on it. Right. I think um, the thing that I am most excited about to get back to normal is um, being able to bring our farmers in, in, in front of me, because that's when I just get almost inundated with opinions on this is what we should do. This is what's important to me. And I learn a lot. You know, I always learn a lot when we bring the folks to us as an organization. That is what we need. Like I said before, it's freaking awesome to go to a farm, but I saw six guys that day. When we have big events, we just get inundated with, uh, you know, opinions and thoughts. Like we said, right now, that's all by phone and email. And it's, it's not, it's not as 
impactful and it's not as rewarding. And I feel like we're disconnected. Um, you know, we're all feeling that way <laughs> in general, but I feel like we, we can get a little disconnected. And I think that's the thing I'm most excited about is seeing people in big groups again. Well, Zach, some good stuff here uh, on the podcast again, and we finally were able to get Lauren on. It's been a long time coming, but some really great conversations on like, okay, how do we keep pushing forward here? What are the next steps going to be? So Lauren, we really thank you for, for coming on and, and joining us here today. I thought this has been really, really great. Thank you for having me. It was a little bit more of a counseling session um, than I thought it would be. So this was much needed. (laughs) Zach and I are millennials. We need counseling a lot. I'm technically a millennial, although I don't seem to act like one most days. So sorry, guys. We'll take it. I I struggle sometimes whether I want to really claim to be a millennial or not. (laughs) (laughs) But I am. I am. But thank you, Lauren, very much for coming on the show. That was a great conversation. Thank you, guys. I'll see you later. Mitchell, it's now everybody's favorite time where we check out our voicemail. I can't wait to hear what we've got in store today. Hello, this is Scott Gillespie calling from Alberta, Canada. And um, I found you a sheep farmer and a sheep farmer that milks sheep. So it's um, it's on a podcast called um, Fresh Growth. It's put up by Western Sayre and it came out May 9th. And the farm is called Harmony Fields. So you can go to um, go find the podcast or go to harmonyfields.com and you will find sheep cheese. So there you go. I looked it up, Mitchell. My mind I is I looked blown. it up. It's a thing. Harmony Fields is there. Oh my god. Sheep, sheep cheese, everything you've ever wanted. It looks like they got quite a an impressive operation going up there. Pretty cool. Like, my mind is like, okay, well now what do we ask people for? Because obviously the listeners of the podcast can get us whatever we want. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I think the important thing here is what does sheep cheese taste like in lasagna? Ooh. I mean, well, anything or on a cracker. Great in lasagna too. Yeah. Oh man. Lasagna is good. Oh, <laughs> kind of makes me hungry. <laughs> it does. Okay. Well, I mean, if you, if you want any sheep cheese, it's there. All right, Zach, time for one more voicemail here. Let's check it out. Zach. Mitch. This is Jake. The podcast is still good. <laughs> For, I love this. I love this voicemail. For five seconds there, I thought we were listening to an old voicemail until I heard the podcast is still good. It's still good. <laughs> Thank you again, Jake. I, <laughs> apparently, he's getting bored over at State Farm. Jake from State Farm, we appreciate you calling in khakis and all. To tell us that the podcast is still good. We're trying to keep that up. I don't know what our ratings are or anything, but still good. Better than not good. We'll, well take it. Well, they've got to be terrible. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> so if, if, I mean, if anybody would like to call in and tell us how good the podcast still is, or if anybody else quits and they'd like to call in and, and let us know, like, remember back to when they used to be a part of field work. Or if you just have advice about camel cheese, give us a call at 651-228-4810. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. 
Well, Zach, that's it for Fieldwork today. Thanks to all the people who helped make Fieldwork possible. Annie Baxter, Claire Jones, Noah Boston, Christian Schmidt, Eric Romani, and Lauren Humper. A special shout-out goes out to our former managing director, Amy Scotchless-Cole. Amy left us a couple of weeks ago to actually run the Trust and Food Initiative at Farm Journal. Uh, thank you, Amy, for all your support that you've given us, and uh, we hope we can continue to collaborate with you. Amy was great. I miss her. Yeah, she's going to be way more missed than Dom. Darn Dom. <laughs> it's been a long time since we've been able to bash on Dom. I'm glad you got that in. Just yeah, one I just more thought of that now. In season yeah. two, I'm, I, that makes me happy. <laughs> Our theme song is <laughs> written and performed by Johnny Vince Evans with help from Corey Shreppel. Our website is fieldworktalk.org, and we are all over the social medias at fieldworktalk, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Do it. And if you if you like this show, tell your friends, post it on Twitter if you feel like it, or you could go to real social media like Instagram or Facebook. You could go to YouTube or over there, throw some stuff down in the comments. We would love to have you recommend us to your networks. Yeah, check us out. Hit us up and check out our voicemail, of course. Call us. Leave us a comment or question at 651-228-4810. 651-228-4810. Thank you for listening. We will talk with you guys again later this year. We are soil happy you joined us for Season 2, and we are soil excited for Season 3. Zach, the, the-, the actual script says, some sort of soil theme joke. You didn't follow the script. Shoot, you know, I wrote these down while Lauren was talking. I, I did really Mitchell, like... you've got to have some soil jokes. I don't have any, hardly any soil oh, jokes. On. I'm just soil gosh darn nervous now that I don't have any good soil jokes. And Well, don't soil yourself. Uh, yeah, don't soil That's, yourself. Uh, well, hang on. I think we should make everybody wait in awkward silence while I get my Wi-Fi connected and try to find a good soil joke. <laughs> See if the Google... Because <laughs> that makes good radio. Check Wikipedia and see if there's any good soil jokes. Well, I don't have a Alexa. My internet's here. slow. I might have to go get an encyclopedia. Mitchell, when does soil get rich? When Mother Nature makes it rain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. I like that. <laughs> Crickets. As, as I expected, someone's been adding soil to my garden. Plot thickens. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey guys, it's Amy calling. I just thought I'd leave you a quick voicemail and say how much I'm enjoying this season um, from my new post here at Farm Journal. And I imagine you're pretty angry at me because I never did get you that full-sized helicopter. But, you know, there's still really good things ahead. Keep on keeping on. And uh, it's been so much fun listening, and I hope you all take care. Bye.